him any question I want. So anyway, uh, welcome to Divine Through Line. I'm Ma Ananda Srimati, sometimes known as Julie Pyatt, and I'm here to share with you musings and perspectives on what it really means to live life divine. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. It's a huge honor and joy. My heart is full. Um, we have uh, Master Wuda here, of Global Tea Hut. Um, Wuda has been a guest on the Ritual podcast and also has served tea in ceremony at my home with my family and friends many, many times over the years. Uh, and he is truly a blessing, uh, a connection to the heart. Uh, and so welcome, Wuda. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. So listen, um, I, we kind of talked a little bit before. You just served a beautiful tea ceremony to uh, Tyler and Trapper and Leia and Juana and Mia and Nama. And anyway, it was really extraordinary. Lovely, lovely, lovely to see you again. Um, and today I wanted to kind of skip going into your personal history, um, Rich. Uh, covered a lot of that on the Ritual podcast, and um, if anybody wants to know more about your origins or how you came to the way of tea, uh, they can check out those podcasts. Uh, but I wanted to uh, possibly explore some issues and, and dive into um, the spiritual nature of tea and how tea helps us to live uh, more meaningful lives. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was uh, you know, there, there's been so much violence that's been going on in the world today, um, and really increasingly. And I think all of us are feeling uh, a little bit closer to home. Um, I understand that, you know, on the planet, there's a lot of violence that's going on all the time. Uh, but in particular, in the last year, you know, we've had, you know, bombings in, in, in Paris and, and Brussels. And, and uh, can you speak to me and speak to us a little bit about... How, how the way of tea um, can help us to transcend these experiences of violence? Uh, well, I, I think that it's important to understand that peace is the natural state of things. Mm -hmm. That If you pick a direction and you move in that direction, you're going to hit empty space and you're going to hit peace very, very soon. And and when I say pick a direction, I also mean an inward direction. When you move inward, uh, also there's there's peace. And I think that one of the uh, misconceptions that that those seeking a spiritual life uh, start out with, I certainly started out with, is ideas that spiritual practice is about putting something on, collecting something or about transforming yourself into another shape when actually it, I don't think it's a coincidence that many, many ancient languages and cultures spoke, used the word cultivation to talk about spiritual practice because th there is a very powerful analogy between gardening and farming and spiritual work in the sense that though we mistakenly in English say, I'm growing corn in my backyard, you don't actually grow corn. 
corn grows itself. Mm-hmm. What we do is make space for the corn to grow. So we create the garden, we build a fence around it, we water it every day, but the growing is natural. It's a natural part of things. And similarly, peace can't be made. Making peace is like trying to stop the ripples in the water by getting in the water and smacking the ripples. You just make more ripples. To make peace, you just turn things off, right? It, It takes no energy to unwind a rope. It takes no energy to return to peace. It takes terawatts of energy to make Los Angeles, but you shut it off and it goes back to the desert that it was before the city was there. Just like water that's very turbid, full of mud, uh, you, you want it to clarify, you, you just make it still and it automatically starts to separate from that which it's not. And we have that in us too. My, my master used to sometimes do a guided breathing meditation And then like any good Zen master, sometimes he'd drop a Zen bomb at the end and say to everybody, everything that vanished in that 30 minutes of meditation is not real. So Mm -hmm. we also, uh, you know, we we, we make space. And when you make space, peace happens. Mm -hmm. And so does insights. Insights grow like plants. And they just grow when you make space in your life. And when when people uh, make space for for peace, then it, it, it comes and, and we connect to the heart of things, to our own true heart, and that true heart's shared. Mm-hmm. It's common. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you don't need to do things to make change, right? Because it's not to say that political work or economic work has no value. Of course it does. But the real essence of our problems aren't political. They aren't economic. They're heart problems. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're to do with separation from, from nature, from ourselves, from each other. And when we make space in our life for uh, rest, for peace, then we touch that part of ourselves that's connected to, to others as well. Mm-hmm. And we, we touched real love because it's easy to love our own. You could say almost, in fact, that the love that a mother feels for her children, there's a lot of biology in that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, raccoons do that, cats do that, even some reptiles. But that's not the love that Buddha was talking about. That's not the love that Jesus was talking about. They were talking about the love when all the children are your babies. Mm-hmm. And all of the people are your brothers and sisters, and and uh, all of your elders are mothers and fathers and uncles and aunts, and the way it was for our ancestors when they lived tribally, mm-hmm. and everybody was was a relation, in the, and those relations went beyond even human, to the plants and the animals and et cetera, mm-hmm. right, and uh, you know when when you put an ego in the left hand and an ego in the right hand and the right hand gets something, the left hand's jealous. And when the right hand's in danger, in the fire, the left hand says, I don't know, helping him, I might hurt myself. But when when the realization happens, the realization of the truth, which is that they're one body, then the right hand gets something, the left hand also gets something. 
in Buddhism, we call that sympathetic joy. Mm. Feeling joy for the successes or welfare of others. Mm-hmm. And when the right hand is in danger, the left hand automatically comes to its aid because they're one body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the mi- in the macro, so in the micro, what's the what's the disease that's on everybody's mind nowadays? Is cancer? And what is cancer really but a selfish cell, mm-hmm. out of touch with the cells around of it, out of harmony with the with the cells around it, disconnected, uh, disconnected from the cells around it, a cluster of cells that aren't are overproducing, and and uh, we have that same kind of separation. Um, the other thing about tea that's really powerful is that aside from creating space, so that ability to create space to where peace can be there, where we can touch on our hearts, where we can return to the truth, as opposed to going out and finding it or making it or twisting ourselves into another shape, right? My master used to always say, enlightenment is not an island where all your problems go away. Mm-hmm. And it's not a future, cooler, more spiritual version of you. It's this here, this room, this garage, this moment, this, or it's nothing, right? And uh, aside from making space, there's another powerful element of tea, that, it, which is that it's uh, non-sectarian and non-verbal. So you, you don't have to have a particular viewpoint. You, can't, you, you don't have to believe in anything, right? Mm-hmm. If I give you a bowl of tea... You can say, I don't want any more tea, but you can't say, I disagree with that bowl or I don't believe in it because it's not Christian, it's not Buddhist, it's not Muslim. So it's a way for people of different uh, viewpoints, different perspectives to connect to each other through hospitality, through kindness. Mm-hmm. It's universal. It's universal. It's not, you know, it, 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 it's a way to communicate uh, something you know, very basic. It's the second most consumed substance on this planet after water. Mm-hmm. And every cup of tea is mostly water, so you could say it's tied for number one if you want. It's and uh, not everyone anymore drinks tea as a spiritual cultivation. It's also a beverage to a lot of people. But I think what makes it so universal, what makes it the second most consumed substance in the world, more than three billion people are drinking tea with you today. <laughs> it's powerful. And... Uh, one aspect of it that everyone understands is that it's hospitality, mm-hmm. that it's kindness, that you come into someone's home and you give them a warm cup of tea as a way of welcoming them, as a way of making peace. It's, it's civilization, in other words. It's, mm-hmm. it's a way of, of, um, of discussing things from a heart center. There's a saying in Chinese that's older than the word for tea, which is pingming lun dao, which means uh, loosely translated, drink tea and discuss what's important, Mm -hmm. discuss the Tao. And uh, one of my favorite English quotes about tea comes from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Piglet says to Christopher Robin, come inside and let's see if a pot of tea can make the world a better place. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that one. And so really, in in the wake of all this turbulence and turmoil and really any part of a human life, but especially in these times when things are very, very heightened, and I think many of us feel and many of my listeners feel like they don't know what they can do. 
and they feel helpless and they feel uh, frightened and you know many of these kind of emotions. And so I think you've expressed beautifully how how powerful the practice of drinking tea um, as a ceremony, as a as a vehicle to connect to your deeper nature and to understand that it is a universal bridge. It's it's a way of connection that is beyond uh, ideologies or belief systems or sides. Um, you know that there is no side. I mean, it's 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 a way to truly, truly go within and and find, make some space for peace or for maybe a, another miracle or something you weren't expecting, but to really make the space so that uh, something may arise, uh, something healing, something beautiful, something loving, um, something expanded. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a. There's a, a a magic in that in in making space and and a way of connecting to. Um, I once stayed in a monastery in, in Japan uh, and at that time had like zero Japanese and there was one monk there and he had zero English and we stayed together for a week and a half. Mostly we were it was a meditation retreat so mostly we were doing our own thing but we would come together a couple times a day and drink tea and over the course of days. I I really felt the communication between that time and I even felt like practical things that he wanted to tell me or it felt it felt like it like that that those were coming through like mm-hmm. could you not hang your robe in such and such a place to dry <laughs> when you're washed I mean I I I it felt like that those things mm-hmm. were coming through um and uh, certainly we would look in each other's eyes and smile and there was a, a oh, deep connection and I definitely felt welcomed mm-hmm. and I felt a part of his, uh, you know, a brotherhood with him and a part of his family. I felt friendship and all without words. And that's, that's kind of, that's powerful. And making space itself, it, it seems simple, but it's something we forget all the time. People, you know, they want to make peace even in their own life. And it's like, even if I had peace to give to you, where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put the painting that can change your life if your walls are covered in stuff? Mm-hmm. If you wake up and you grab your cell phone and then you start moving, moving, moving until nighttime and then it's, you know, you just fall asleep and even in your sleep you're not rested. Um, where are we going to put this piece? And the deeper kind of um, sp- spiritual insight that, that I believe is that we demonstrate our ability to receive something by making space for it. Mm. So we have a saying in in Buddhism that making space for meditation is the primary meditation. Right? It's beautiful. That a gardener, he makes space and then he waters it every day. That's the practice. You know, he builds a fence and what's the fence is to keep out animals that eat the the insights and the animals are distractions, whatever Mm. the distractions are. But if you ask a gardener what they mostly do because they don't do the growing. The mm. growing happens of its own. Again, we, we said that, but what most what most gardeners do most of the time is weed. So the making of space isn't like a a one time thing, right? Because our minds and our world is cluttered, and so it's a it's a practice of making space in your life. The technique of meditation um, isn't as important as that. Um, We've, I find tea very conducive and accessible because, like I said earlier, you don't have to believe in anything. Mm. 
which is a barrier for some people, especially in the modern age, they maybe don't resonate with any of the religious worldviews and uh, they want a non-sectarian uh, practice, ritual. And, uh, and it's easy to begin, especially yeah. in the morning because we all wake up wanting hot beverages, <laughs> right? Right, right. You don't need to study. You don't need to take a course or learn a bunch of of uh, intellectual information or even really really anything you can just begin drinking tea. That's right. And there is a there is a road, there is a path, there is a lot of skills, right? But it does start very simply. We mm-hmm. start people with just a a rice bowl, any kind of bowl, put some leaves in it and add water. So keep it really simple, <laughs> keep it meditative. And you know the the fact of the matter is no matter what your views are on whether or not sacred, the feeling of sacred corresponds to something outside of us and what that thing is, God, Buddha nature, Tao, if we set that aside for just a second, the fact of the matter is every human from child to adult knows the feeling sacred. When I say the word sacred, you know what I'm talking about. And I don't just mean you, I mean all the listeners, everyone. When I say that word sacred, you know what I'm talking about. And so at least as a human psychological phenomenon, sacred is real. Mm-hmm. I have my own views about whether that corresponds to something outside of us and what that thing is. But set that aside for a moment. As a, as a sensation, as a, as a feeling, we all know when I say sacred, you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. because you felt it. And I think even the most cursory survey of the last 100,000 years of human existence demonstrates our deep-seated need for that. That, with, that like sex, like food, like water, we can't be healthy without it. And I know that not just because I surveyed the human history and prehistory, art, culture, etc. I know that because I lived a life without that daily connection to that feeling of sacred and I lived a life with it. I lived a life without rituals and I lived a life with with sacred, with rituals in my life. And I'm much, much happier and, and healthier and closer to the person that I want to be. Um, and so a lot of the illnesses that you're talking about, and they are illnesses, they are, they are born of a disconnection from that. They are born from a, a, you know, a kind of spiritual wasteland. They're born of separation and um, all that it engenders that the kind of soulless mechanical worldview. Yeah, separation from source. Yeah. And from divinity. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully expressed. I mean, you you recommended some years ago to me, you said every day just drink three bowls of tea, at least three bowls of tea. And since you told me that, you gave me that wisdom, (laughs) I received it very well. And every single morning I drink three bowls of tea. And every single morning I'm with you for three bowls of tea. Thank you. And uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful way for me to connect with nature, with the trees, for me to feel um, at one uh, with this planet, and also for me to feel community. And again, there is no study, there's no words. Um, it's, it just is. It's an, it's an experience that I'm, that I'm having every day. Mm. Um, and uh, tea has been a magnificent um, connection and and uh support and um i think it's uh it carries wisdom in it um in the leaves in the 
in the in the whole process. And it, this leads me to sort of um, segue into another um, kind of. Uh, topic that I've been ruminating on and I've been really looking at in the last months. Um, and it's one of, of what is, what is my footprint and what is the footprint of everything, every action, uh, that, that I engage in, that we engage in collectively. Um, and, uh, it's been, it, it's, it's been very, very, very interesting to feel, uh, yourself in, a, in an, in an experience and then to reflect it on what is the what have you left? What have you come to the experience with? And then what have you left when you uh, remove yourself from the experience? And seeing you pour tea today in the ceremony with all of its, um, you know, it's sort of a, it's a ceremony. It's a ritual. It has a pattern. It has a, a repetition. It has a bhava or a feeling to it. Uh, can you speak to us a little bit about footprint and about the deeper aspects of that from from, uh, from your perspective? Well, I mean, you, you've said the most important question that I think everybody uh, needs to ask. Native Americans, some of the tribes, the, the way that you would translate their word for nature is give away, like capital G-I-V-E hyphen away, like one noun, the, the great giveaway. And I reflect on that and I think you know that every every being every animal comes needing some something else the turtle's born with a need for the calcium in a particular shell the koala needs the eucalyptus the eucalyptus needs the koala that they're they're all giving away they're all giving away and so you know the question that that then burns across my heart is what do i give away what do, what do i give um, it's certainly not my body in the way that an animal does because a crow just gives crowness. And uh, I think we're, one of, the, one of our ways of giving away is, is awareness because uh, beauty that knows it's beautiful is more powerful than beauty. So I think mm -hmm. that the world, the plants, they wanted to see themselves and know themselves and that's, Part of why we're here is to sing the song, to write the poem, to 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 do that, to take the sacred and acknowledge it and sing it out. And um, recently, I, I did this interview, and it was through email. And uh, I'm glad you didn't you steered this away because I'd rather talk about important things and tea and not myself and my story. It's not as important to me. But this brother, he really was very, and so the questions just kept coming back to my story. And most of them I just can answer, like almost cut and paste, because people ask that stuff. But he asked a real doozy. He asked a question that came from left field. It just like knocked me flat. And fortunately, because it was through email, I had like two days to think about it. He asked, why do you think people respect you? What a powerful question. And <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, I looked inward and I thought, you know, my first of all, my the on the outside, the surface answer was, "Look, I don't know why people do the things they do. I'm not those people." And many of them, maybe they have a story about who they think I am, as some kind of special person or holy man or something. When I'm really just a person from Ohio, and they, the, that's all stuff I can't control. So then the question became: Then 
to look inside and, and what parts of myself do I respect? Because the parts of me that I respect are really the parts that are worth respecting, right? Those aren't the story that somebody's written about what they think I am. They're, because I know me better than anyone. So the parts of me that I respect are the parts that are worth respecting. So then the question was, what? I'd never asked myself that. What, <laughs> what parts of myself do I respect? And the answer in the end was, um, though, though I'm not of the light, maybe n- not yet, maybe never, I certainly love it. Mm-hmm. And though I, I have no claims on integrity, I love integrity. And though I'm not always kind and I'm not always, I don't always show up in a selfless way, I do sincerely with all my heart love kindness. And uh, I think those, th- those, those things are powerful. And they, and they, uh, they grew out of making ceremonial space out of, out of these things, out of, like you said, repetition. There's no, you can't underestimate that. It's how we learn. And creating space every day to have connection to sacred through repetitive uh, activities is powerful. I, about 10 years into my tea journey, it just dawned on me one day that I'm ambidextrous. And this is just like a byproduct of brewing so much tea and doing tea every day. Tea ceremony involves both sides of the body, as you saw, very much. And... Um, I just, it just realized, I realized that I do th- things with both my hands all the time and I didn't used to. It just dawned on me slowly over time that that was one um, physical side effect of this repetitive action every day. And there's also uh, spiritual benefits as well, innumerable, you know, and going on and on and on and, and, uh, and this this is where I think we, we give as we show up, we be aware of the sacred, so that sacred's knowing that it's sacred. And then of course there's the giving away to others. Because we're tribal beings, we're we're social organisms, we need people. It's part of our makeup, it's part of our happiness. And we're a little bit backwards. It seems almost paradoxical, but if you want to be loved, and we all want that. We all want to matter. You want to matter? Very much. I want to matter. It's what motivates us. To some degree, it's not our only motivation, but it's a powerful one. And uh, what we get backwards sometimes, and what I've realized is that if you want to matter, you got to make others matter to you. The more other people matter to you, the more you'll matter. The more you love others, the more you'll be loved. Because if you stop anyone on the road and say, real quick, who do you love most? The person that comes to mind is always going to be the person that loves them. If they say wife, mother, whatever they say, it's going to be the person that loves them the most. So if you want to be loved, you have to love. And that's, um, and that's how we also give away. Uh, that's the you know the secret to immortality as well. You give it away, and if you give it away, then it continues on after you're gone, and you're in it, and you're a part of it. Mm. 
and then like that i i belong to a lineage so i'm a lineage holder and being part of a lineage is um it's a very powerful one of my students tiana you've met her mm-hmm. she we were just in yunnan which is the birthplace of all tea and we had this epic trip and at the end everybody was sharing and it came to her and she said something that i've kind of known intellectually just hit home on this trip and she started crying and when she shared it, it hit home for me for the first time. <laughs> and, you know, I'm further down the path, but it doesn't matter. She's going to go past me. Um, but she said, you know, it hit home really deeply how being in a lineage is also such a great responsibility. Yes. That there's a deep responsibility to pass it on to make sure that these traditions mm-hmm. are um, carried forward. Yeah. And um, not just preserved, but grown Evolved. Evolved. Actually expanded. Expanded. Yeah, and you described, I mean, your uh, sharing of, of, uh, of your, your love of the sacred, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, that's devotion. I mean, you're devoted. You're devoted to the sacred in your life, in your activities, and the things that you do. And um, it's been the same for me. I mean, it's given me such deep meaning, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't care intellectually whether somebody believes me or they don't believe me. I mean, the 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 point is that I live a life of devotion because it gives me deep meaning, and it's beautiful. And uh, and so uh, anyway, it's just it's beautiful to hear you describe it like that. And um, speak to us a little bit. You were sharing a little bit during tea ceremony. I find it to be quite beautiful um, sharing, and that is. Uh, share a little bit about um, what you were telling us about how um, the students, um, if you're a good teacher, your students will surpass you. Mm. Yeah, we, yeah, we we say in Zen, if you're if you only get to the level of your teacher, then you're half of your teacher mm-hmm. because he or she's already done half that work for you. So, um, you know, a second grade teacher whose students don't graduate from second grade is not a good teacher. <laughs> Uh, I, I want my students to go way beyond me and they are um, they are doing so mm. and they are also they were also in the answer to that question about what I like about myself <laughs> is them I mean man I, I I've been blessed I have you know a good dozen or more students that that honest honest truth sincerely I value more than I value myself they're beautiful, beautiful people and, uh, and have very much the opportunity to reach a place where I'm going to have to call them teacher and learn <laughs> from them. It's already happening, as I just said. Yes. She, Tian was sharing and she, she, on this trip too, shared another deep insight that was a powerful teaching for me. So she's, she's catching up, she's going past and she's amongst many and and may it be so, you know, if, if traditions don't evolve, if they don't grow, then, then they become stagnant mm-hmm. and they become hollow, empty mm-hmm. and f- not with meaning. They need to grow and change. And uh, that's a little bit dangerous, but it's also important and powerful. I think maybe it's more dangerous for them not to grow because I th- then I think uh, humans set up, uh, you know, fences around them and defend them and, you know... Um, stop stop the evolution life is always flowing and changing it's it's you know it's an experience it's always changing yes. and the only thing we can really be sure of is that this moment will never be the same again this moment as i'm looking in your eyes will never 
be again. So um, it's that nature of being open to the evolution and expanding. And how I like to, you know, I've sort of reconciled it within my own paths. And, um, you know, I've been more connected to the Vedic lineage in this lifetime and many lifetimes. And and yet um, I can't deny any part of myself yet I'm not stopping in one place. So I I try to energetically take it all with me, but I try to have a very open feeling in my body about being expansive. And the the gauge for it for me is how does it feel in my body? If I'm feeling a hardness, uh, that's not it. You know, it has to it has to feel open. It has to feel uh, expansive in that area. Um, the other aspect that's been really interesting to me and and uh, I wanted to ask you about it is, uh, you know, Rich and I are plant-based uh, advocates. You know, we we're, uh, we have a cookbook. Um, we're um, going to events and uh, talking to people about the benefits of eating a plant-based lifestyle, both for your uh, inner space and then also in support of the planet. And I think it's a very key place uh, that it begins with the food that we put in our mouth, with what we're drinking, you know, what are our habits. Um, and then I also am aware that there is a whole cosmos beyond that um, with uh, the the subtle energetics or the frequencies or the unseen energies that are that are connected to plants, to trees. And as, you know, I see and know that there is a lot of evolution going on in sort of like a never before in history of the planet, uh, you know, manner. Um, and a lot of us are going through, you know, evolution and expansive and changes. Um, I know this is happening in the plant kingdom as well as our healers, as you know, the medicine that has been, you know, we, we healed ourselves with these energies, you know, throughout history with our ancestors. And so another thing that I've been really, um, Uh, connecting to in meditation is the spirits of these plants you know the spirit of the of the plants in my garden the trees on my land uh, the earth you know at large and then recently was brought to my attention uh, through my dear friend Lisa Renee Um, she her meditation this month was actually connecting with the energies which are the wind and the air that we're breathing. And so because the tea that you've uh, brought into my home and introduced me to is from these ancient trees, some hundreds of years old, and, uh, you know... Thousands even. Thousands of, well. Uh, you know, so they carry this resonance, and and that's what I'm most interested in or, or really open, creating space. I'm creating space for that communication. Um, can you speak to me a little bit about your perspective on that? Um. Personally, you know, I've also been vegetarian most of my life, but uh, that didn't begin for any philosophical reasons or health reasons. It just began because I, I didn't like meat. I and it was why. as simple as like not liking, uh, you know, not liking orange juice, but liking al- apple juice. I mean, it was just really was that simple for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become something that I think about more consciously as... Um, environmental degradation has become more prominent in the consciousness of, of myself and my peers and, and the world in general. And uh, I think that a lot of animal products are not sustainable and they're created in ways that are harmful for the environment, um, but plants as well. Um, I think that sometimes we 
vegetarians, vegans can have cultivate very easily compassion for animals, for nature, and not for people, which is a mistake. Um, those who work in slaughterhouses maybe are in a worse hell than the animals that live there. It's a terrible job that I think even most meat eaters would rather not do. It's not a, a pleasant life, and I have compassion on my brothers and sisters that have to do that job or think they have to do that job. And I want to love them as much, and I want to remember that you know, just like the animals that are carnivorous, you know, there there's a compassion there, and there's a in my heart, and I don't think that na Mother Nature uh, regards her animal children with more esteem than her plant children. That her plant children are also uh, giving away, are also dying and sacrificing to become uh, a part of us. Um, so I I I like to keep that open and full of love as opposed to making it a, a separation. The, the vegetarians and vegans are us and the meat eaters are them, you know? that I think that line is just, um, uh, cult, you know, propagates more of that kind of separation and, and the then the result of that is anger or whatever, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing we always, you know, Rich and I have a very, very open door, very non-judgmental stance on all of those things. Yeah, it's, it's a process. It's simply, you know, we're all becoming and we're all in different spots and each individual is completely um, individual, unique in their own uh, station. And um, one of the things that we speak to a lot is that if you've brought violence into your kitchen, you've missed the entire point. Yeah. So, you know, once again, we're very open to everyone's evolution. Um, and, uh, you know, yet me for for vib vibration reasons, you know, and, and I would say that, you know, maybe there's a thread of that being that soul who knew you were a tea master. I mean, you, you were into, you, you know, just told us a story of you as a, as a young person getting having a necklace with a character on it that actually you found out years later meant tea yeah. and you have it tattooed on your hand. So, you know, I would maybe say maybe there was an inkling of your soul that knew uh, that you were on this path and that, you know, meat was not really vibrationally in alignment with you. Um, certainly. Maybe. Um, certainly, certainly. Certainly. But, and so certainly. for me, it was more vibrationally. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a I didn't make a decision. I didn't read some, somebody's, um, you know, some propaganda or some information. I started to practice yoga more and more and more, and the habit simply dropped me. Mm. And I was raised in Alaska on game meat, and I don't know if you know that about me. Huh. But yeah, my dad was a hunter, and so that's part of, part of our story. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, right now, um, in addition to the vibration and just the fact that it doesn't feel in alignment with me, I could never kill an animal and skin it. I don't have the ability to do that. Right. I can't break a chicken's neck. I can't beat a fish on the head with a club. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have it in me. It's, it's, it doesn't, doesn't feel good to my body to do that. So what my father taught me being a hunter is that he was fine doing that and he did it in full presence. And so I had to respect him for that because he wasn't going to a store and buying it in a, in a package and having that disconnection, which you were talking about, you know, being disconnected of what it was. He knew what it was. So, um, you know, 
I had to respect him as a being for that, for being in alignment for that. However, at this time on the planet, in like you said, the environmental conditions and everything else, um, you know, it is uh, we we feel and we've experienced it is uh, essential to imperative. living today. Imperative, right? Yeah. And also, in addition, we've seen so many people that have come into the lifestyle in an open way, in a in a you know in a loving way, in a compassionate way, not compassionate like we know something more than you know. Mm. Just in a hey, we're all kind of in the soup together. Let's allow each other some space, you know. Yes. And I'm going to love you even though you're eating chicken. It's okay, yes. you know. Um, we've seen such a such an evolution of people writing to us, having full spiritual awakenings, healing themselves of disease, um, living a life of meaning, becoming connected to their authentic self. And so, um, you know, I have to say that in my experience and in, in what I'm experiencing in my life, I have seen the power of this lifestyle. Absolutely. And I guess what I'm, what I was sort of tapping into is I know there's a whole spiritual energetics that's beyond that. And in the Vedas, like Swami, uh, Swami Vidyadishananda, who I meditate with, he would say that in, from his perspective in the Vedas, the difference of a plant and an animal is that um, the plant doesn't feel pain because in the Vedas, it's stated that it's moving sentient beings, beings that move. Um, and so that would be the distinction from that lineage, from that perspective. Um, and one of the other things that I wanted to sort of uh, discuss with you and see if you can give me some insight is that along with my footprint and my spaces as I'm going through my day, as I'm preparing food and I'm, you know, I'm looking to see what's the mess I left behind me or like just what does my space look like? Mm. Or, you know, uh, so we had an infestation of ants and so they were black and they were crawling all over us and I couldn't get rid of them, but they weren't leaving and I was still meditating. And then they turned to red and then they started biting me and biting the kids and then they started to get kind of big and I lost my patience in my meditation and I researched some ant bait and I baited them and I killed them but I was watching myself through the through that process I was watching the violence in me as I was killing them even though they're just ants also aware that they're moving beings so if the Vedas are true you know, if they are, uh, then I'm killing a sentient being. Mm. Even so, uh, so I didn't. You know, I'm I'm not there. I didn't get there, and uh, and I've I've opened up. I've opened the space for whatever the deva of the ant kingdom is to communicate with me. Like I'm open to learn. I'm open to do better next time. But I have to admit. There was a violent, you know, there was a violence inside my being that I was observing. So, um, do you have any that's advice? <laughs> that's a wonderful thing to, you know, to realize that, uh, you know, it's all of this, those seeds, you were talking earlier about violence and this, everything you've answered, kind of your own questions, those things are inside of me. If I'm on this earth, I'm participating. It's my reality. Uh, living apart doesn't make me less responsible for those who are doing those acts and I have a responsibility as well to go cultivate myself and to awaken the world and um, you spoke about increasing your sensitivity and then naturally being disinclined to do those things like to, to eat meat was what you were talking about and I think the answer is the same for for violence as people wake up there's not a desire to do those things right I don't I don't refrain from eating M&Ms because I want to but I think it's naughty I have no desire to mm -hmm. eat that, I, I, I uh, 
or, or other junk food. I'm not interested. Um, my Zen lineage has, you know, in Buddhism we have precepts. And in my particular lineage, I've never encountered more beautiful precepts in, in, in any lineage. I'm very proud of them, obviously. <laughs> they, they beam. And the reason is because all of the abstinations, the ten, there, are, there are ten or more, but we start with ten. In my tradition, I've never seen this anywhere else. It could exist. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just, I've just never encountered it. But uh, they all start with positives. So rather than saying, I abstain from taking intoxicants, it says, I love clarity of mind, therefore I abstain from taking intoxicants. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I honor the body, therefore I don't misuse sexuality. So it's out of a positive mm -hmm. that the abstination happens, mm. as opposed to pushing or, or, or negative. Like you, you increased your sensitivity and then you lost the desire to to eat meat. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a, um, it wasn't something you imposed from the outside. It came from within. It was a real growth. And that's how violence ends in the world. That's how these things have to happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's good that you, that you found that you have still the seeds of these things in you. It's, you know, it's humbling. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a, inspiration to do more work to cultivate that hey i'm not done that you know who do i think i am just because i've done some years of yoga or meditation or whatever like that i still am as connected to you know all the um darkness and all that earlier i said that i'm not of the light but i love it which means i face it and when you face the light you cast a shadow mm -hmm. and I, I have shadow in me too and uh, violent thoughts and um lustful thoughts and greedy thoughts and selfish thoughts and etc. So that's good. Practically, I live in Taiwan where there's a lot of ants. I don't know if it'll work here because they might be different ants, but our solution is baby powder. For mm -hmm. some reason, they hate it. And if you put it along, it kind of be, is a, a little bit troublesome in itself because you end up having baby powder all around all these cracks and stuff but that's what we do we just line the thresholds of doors and all along the walls and once you get enough baby powder in the cracks and crannies if you can live with that for a little while it'll keep them away at least Taiwanese ants I don't know they right. just they must not like it on their body or something I don't know um but I think your question's deeper than like what to do when one has ants and <laughs> one doesn't that, want I but, do but you could try that. baby powder yeah um I I I, I think, you know, again, every breath you take, you kill millions of organisms. Mm -hmm. Everywhere you step, we are, the, the death creates life. Mm -hmm. Indigenous people have always worshipped death and decay. They've always had a mound where things went to, uh, where they prayed to the death. There's every ag agricultural society in the world has this story of the god or goddess coming down and being killed and cut up into pieces and out of their body comes the crop that sustains them. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that the same story repeats itself independent of each other. So it's there in the Americas with corn, in the Middle East with wheat, in Asia with rice, etc. And it speaks to that, that out of death mm -hmm. comes life. Mm -hmm. That, um, you know, we often think of life and death as opposites, but they're not. If you turn over a dead log, it's full of life, mm -hmm. mushrooms, insects, bugs, Actually, the opposite of death is birth, mm -hmm. and life is continuous. Mm -hmm. And so things don't die. They mm -hmm. just change form. Mm -hmm. No energy 
uh, ends, it just changes form. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there is a difference in, in, like you said, in plants and animals, and you, you expressed it a lot with pain. It's kind of one plus one is two. When I feel emotions like pain or anger or fear, my constitution changes. My body trembles. Mm-hmm. And then what I eat also shifts my constitution, the food that I eat. Yes. And when you put those two things together and you realize that a lot of animals are experiencing pain and fear and anger, and then you put them into your body, shifting your energy. Plants also, their consciousness is not localized. Um, so it's not like us, our consciousness is mostly based up and down the spine, the chakras, or whatever you want to say. We can live without our feet and hands, but if your spine or brain is damaged, you're going to uh, be very, very limited and or die. Mm-hmm. So... Whereas plants, the consciousness is kind of there in every cell, and it also has it also has dormant states. Mm-hmm. So seeds can sit for you know they just in Arizona dug up thousand year old squash seeds and planted them and had a new kind of squash come back that That's has never wild. been seen. Wow! So and the other rad thing about seeds is that they're all kind of empty, mm-hmm. which is weird in and of itself. Um, it's but a lot of space in the it, seeds. It, there's space in seeds, in and then they just like boop, boop, out comes this magic of life. <laughs> So plants, plant consciousness also has a dormant state, mm-hmm. which is you know kind of how tea works because you're what I meant when I said the consciousness is not localized. When you clip the leaf, the consciousness is as much in the leaf as it is in the roots and the trunk. In the tree, and then as much as it is in me. But I don't know that 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 doesn't work um, with animals as well. There's a lot of Native American stories where like the mouse is running on the plains, and then he feels a shadow, and then there's a sharp pain, and then he's flying. No. So it's it's about the the continuing mm-hmm. the continuity mm-hmm. of the consciousness between mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. animals, right? Yeah. And uh, and so, um, so there 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 is that stuff, and there is there's definitely a, a powerful relationship. I think less with. For me, anyway, personally, less with the like deep cosmic stuff. Maybe I'm not at that level yet, where it's like the 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 deep um, cosmic difference between the energies of things. But the act of not of abstaining from eating meat, not because of rule, but because I love, mm-hmm. because like you said, mm-hmm. I don't want to kill another animal. I don't want to. Like I don't, I don't want to hurt the ants. That you had even that thought, that you had that process, that you had those ideas. That awakening of compassion, that spark, that's very powerful, and that's mm-hmm. definitely transformed mm-hmm. my life, changed my life. Um, you know, I so I what I mean is that I'm, I'm I don't know that I can uh, separate or categorize all the vibrations of different, of plant versus animal versus blah, blah, blah. I've been vegetarian also since I was very young. So, uh, I wasn't as conscious then. So it's hard to say, I don't remember even what it feels like to, to eat that stuff, but I definitely making the decision to abstain from something, not out of a sense of that's naughty, but out of a sense of Mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. that in itself is very powerful. 
It is very powerful, and I think it's I think it's the state where it's really real, where it's really authentic, where you've really uh, it's part of your cells, it's part of your makeup, it's part of your being. It's not like somebody gave you a rule and then you're abstaining. And in you know yogic view, that wouldn't be really really healing. That's a problem. That's a blockage. Huh. So you know, again, I think it's I think it's the intent also with which you with you know. the intent with which you enter into an act. Um, And then also, you know, it is, it's when, when you, like, I think in Tantra, the the question is, you know, for whom and when. Uh, So when you ask a question like, is meat okay? You know, then the answer is for whom and when. Mm -hmm. It depends. Like everything depends on every single other element in a person's life and, you know, where you live, you know, what is, what is your life path? What are you here to learn? Like Mm -hmm. all of these things, you can't really make a blanket assumption about or answer about something. And then the other thing that I love about about Tantra is is this idea that there there are no rules. There are no boundaries because when you're in alignment with true your true nature and you're in right living, you spontaneously will always take the right action mm. because it's natural. Yeah. So this is another thing about like, you know, devoting your life to charity, you know, if you if you do it from a place that's not fully aligned, it's simply another profession. It's the same ego as an actress, or you know, it's it's no different. But but when you spontaneously give from this pure love because you love, and it's natural, it has a completely different bhava, a completely different feeling to it. Absolutely. Um, and so it's the it's these natural states. I I feel that this is something that tea brings us, you know, the practice of drinking tea, it's so connected to nature. It's so connected to the trees, which are magnificent beings, you know, just of, you know, words can't even describe how magnificent the energies of trees are. And to be able to connect with the planet and honor her in that way by ingesting this, you know, you called it liquor, the, the fluid is from the from the tea, um, is just, I find it very, um, very grounding and also expansive. And it's helping me to make space for greater and greater awareness to come into my life. And, uh, you brought this practice to me and, and it's truly, truly changed my life, changed my family's life. And, um, I am forever eternally grateful to you for, uh, for this wisdom. Yeah. Tea is magnificent. I love it, and you know, you exp- you return this theme keeps coming up of you know back to what I said about not making peace. You said kind of the same thing, not making goodness, but finding one's goodness, mm-hmm. and then acting from there. Mm-hmm. And and the question you asked earlier that we that I expressed in as you know, what do I give away? The same the same thing, and it's not about what energy you consume, but what you do with that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. and why you're taking that energy. So mm-hmm. if an animal sacrificed itself for you to live or a plant sacrificed itself for you to yes. live, what are you doing with that energy and, and where is it going? And th- these are questions that we all mm-hmm. should be asking ourselves and, and uh, what, what do we want to do? Tea um, is you know, a very unique plant because uh, I sincerely believe that it was, that it was made to be human. So mm. it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a plant like others that... that uh, arose on its own and we can go and you know kind of sue it or woo it for some kind of medicine or we can um use it but 
this isn't a plant that was discovered or that was found, but as much as it, it was destined to be us, it's the second most consumed substance on this earth. Mm-hmm. It, is, uh, it is an avatar of love. It's Mother Earth's love for us, and, and she speaks through life. She speaks through DNA. She speaks through creation, and, and how else would she express herself then to create the medicine that we need to be civilized, mm-hmm. to live more in harmony because we we lose our harmony, and that's where the violence comes between humans. <clears throat> the violence, the separation, is that we forget where we all started. Mm-hmm. We all started with a heartbeat roughly once a second and a whirring in our own heart, and then all of a sudden that whirring turned into you know ten beats a second, which is the mm-hmm. baby's beat, mm-hmm. and the baby's beat found the rhythm of the mother. Mm-hmm. And that that also is where, we, you know, we lived in vertical time, not linear time. We were in this other world mm-hmm. of fluid and timelessness that was referenceless and so endless. Because time isn't, you know, the founder of my Zen school, Dogen, said that the only, you know, measure of like clock time is another clock, that time is relative to our experience. Mm-hmm. So to a three-year-old, a year is one-third of their life. Yes. To a 90-year-old, a year is nothing because it's one-ninetieth of their <sighs> life. So it's, it, there's always a reference point to how long time is. And when we were in the womb, there was no reference point. There was infinity. Yes. And, and we came from that timeless place and we came from that rhythm, that harmony into mm. a world, you know, separate then. Mm. And all of us, our first act was to cry and to be, to, could, because it's, there's a kind of uh, anguish in there of that separation. Mm. And so this comes, just keeps coming back to this theme of what I'm saying is that in the Tao Te Ching, it says that spiritual cultivation is a returning. Mm. So it's not a finding, it's not a road from here to there. It's not a, something that you need to put on yourself, nor is it mm. like something you need to, twist yourself into some other shape Mm. but it's a returning to what already is it's a returning to the truth the nature of things as they are and that's why hope is not lost because because it's it's not our nature to be thus little children are beings of light one and all and and then they and then th- with more separation, with more stuff, with more drama, with more I, with more me and my and mine, then comes more um, separation and then violence and et cetera. But our nature is is connection. It's what we really are, what we're made of. Mm-hmm. We're made of, of this world. And uh, tea has definitely helped facilitate that connection for me to, like you said, nature, because... The trees are so, uh, they have within them the weather, they have the mountain, the air, the, the even the water in the bowl was in a cloud two weeks ago. Mm. So you're drinking the clouds, you're connecting to the earth, you're connecting to nature. And I, I think this plant, we have receptors for it because it was built for us. Mm. It was Mother Nature's answer to for us. And we so we have these little spots or whatever where she just clicks in and things become calm and time starts to 
separate. We were talking about that in the tea ceremony, and it wasn't me that brought it up, it was others, how um, Nama was talking about her first tea session and how it was like five hours long, and yet it felt timeless, and yet it was like the whole world, like none of, she kind of skipped out on some work or something, but there wasn't any angry texts or emails mm-hmm. or people weren't wondering where she was. It was like time got scooted aside. It happens when I have workshops. It's really hard. Um, we're having a workshop here at your house tomorrow, so you'll mm-hmm. find this out. It's really hard in tea workshops to keep a schedule. <laughs> it's almost impossible because time starts to... Stretch. Um, like if, if somebody asked me to, 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 to talk about the experience of drinking living tea, we don't have time here to talk about some of the problems, some of the reasons why all those 3 billion people who drink tea aren't, um, you know, aren't having the kinds of experiences that maybe they should, but it has to do with relationship and respect. It's tea that's improperly grown and then improperly prepared and improperly mm-hmm. received, which is, um, which is important. And, but what living tea does, you know, is that it kind of internally makes space. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just descriptively, metaphorically, I don't mean this literally, but it's almost like all the atoms in us or all the, st- the energy in us just kind of inhales and lets a little bit of room come in. Mm-hmm. Everything just kind of slows down a little bit. There's a little bit of room. There's a little bit of... Um, of of space and and that's really really powerful because then whatever we need to cultivate whatever's important to us we remember it mm-hmm. once we have space once the distractions are set down we remember the things that are important to us because we have that this problem with all the movement and distractions that that we forget what's most important to us mm-hmm. and we um we forget you know if whether it's your beloved or something spiritual, it doesn't matter. You forget that, and and we need to remember that, and we need to uh, be a part of that. And that feeling of connection to nature is also very powerful medicine, because as long as environmentalism is an idea, a philosophy, it will have to compete with other forces inside of us, forces like greed and selfishness and the desire to attract mates to have more than others. Those are powerful forces, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious. And as an idea, I'm not sure environmentalism can compete. Uh But as an experience, it can. Because the truth of the matter is that your beloved, your son, both of your sons, your daughters, their body is 50 to 70% water. And so every time you turn to trap her and say, I love you, you're saying, I love you, water. And if someone comes to threaten Trapper or yourself, you protect them. It's instinctive. That's what you were arguing with in the ants. Mm-hmm. That mother instinct, whatever instinct. We don't need a philosophy to, to, to protect our own. Mm-hmm. It's in our makeup. And so if we experience that the forest is us, that the water is us, then you don't need to teach people to protect the forest. They'll do it just like they protect their sons and daughters because they know that that every breath your son takes, that's made by trees. Yes. And that the food that you, your son eats and you eat comes from plants. And, and that your clothes and your house is wood. Whatever it is, our life, our whole life is, is because of plant energy. Mm. They, they, they are us. Yes. We are them. And I always say, in a manner of speaking... 
we very much are the plant's decision to walk around <laughs> because they are our source. Mm-hmm. Every breath, all of our food, everything we are. And when sometimes when you drink tea properly, you experience that. And when you experience that, I mean when you are it, not thinking it, not believing it, not a philosophy, not an idea like you're listening to now through my words, mm-hmm. but actually the experience of I am the water, I am the forest. Then once you're in that state, nobody needs to teach you to protect the forest. You protect it just like you protect your family because it is your family. And when you feel that, you don't need to, uh, you know, there doesn't need to be ideas. And that's very, very powerful. But it has to be it has to be done. This is the question that always comes, like what, um, what do we do? And and the the I mentioned the three stages, and we can talk about those briefly because I think they're very important. Is the the growing, the preparation, and the and the reception, and these are there in all things. They're there in food, uh, very much so. Everybody listening, everybody has an experience of these things. They're not. They don't need to be deep or esoteric. You've eaten a uh, a store-bought tomato, a so-called conventionally grown. I don't know why the stuff with chemicals is conventional, but we use that <laughs> word. It should be the way they've grown for hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> it's conventional, but anyway, so-called conventional tomato you've eaten, yes. And you've also eaten a tomato grown by someone in their garden who loves gardening. Mm-hmm. Are they different? They're Absolutely. So different. Different in flavor, different in aroma, different in the way they feel in our body, different in every way. So that's the growing. Now, preparation. Take two conventionally grown tomatoes, non-organic tomatoes from the supermarket, and both are going to be made into marinara sauce. One's made by a mother for her beloved son, and another is made by a dude working in a diner who's had a bad week because his girlfriend broke up with him. Are those two marinara sauce different? So different. So different in flavor, aroma, feeling. And then continue at reception. Let's say store-bought tomatoes cooked by the mother with love. And she has two sons. One of them, let's say, has been on hard times and he's been living on the streets and he hasn't eaten in like three days and they're trying to reconcile so she lets him back in for a meal. And the other son is kind of fat and spoiled and lives in the basement and comes up and eats the spaghetti while he's watching TV. Whereas the first son, he hasn't eaten in three days and he's so happy to also be with his mother. Again, different in flavor, different in aroma, different in the way they feel in the body. So if the, you know, the question that you're asking is, well, if 3 billion people are drinking tea every day, why isn't everybody waking up more and more? This is the answer, mm-hmm. right? Tea that is not grown properly. It's not grown with respect. And then it's not prepared with respect. And then it's not received with respect. When these things happen, because these are living beings we're talking about, and the key to any uh, healthy, productive relationship between living forces is respect, trust, honor, if I don't respect you, you and I don't have a good relationship. If you don't respect me, we don't have a good relationship. Respect is, is the basis of respect and love and trust. And so when we grow the tea with respect, when we prepare it with respect, and when we receive it with respect, that's where we get to that place where this tea starts to activate that space in us. It starts to open the heart. It starts to, um, you know, create presence, mm-hmm. which is so important. Presence, just the being in the moment, the being here and now, and learning how to, this is where the practice of tea comes in too, learning how to um, do something simple. Because after breathing, drinking is our most simple activity. Mm-hmm. And so if you can make a cup of tea, 
with all of yourself, with every bit of yourself, every sensation, every touching of the pot, every movement, everything fully present. If you can do that, then you can do anything that way. You can brush your teeth that way. You can walk that way. Being more spiritual is about that. It's about doing more things in the day with the meditative mind. It's not about meditating more. It's about being meditative all day. Or if you're devotional, it's about praying all day mm. or being in a yogic state all day, however you want to express it. That that's If we can get to that, that's really powerful. Above my, my bed, I have some calligraphy. It says, uh, in every step, in every breath, from the moment I wake until the moment I sleep, I'm preparing tea. Mm. And... Um, Maybe we can conclude with a story. I always like to conclude with a story. I would love that. Uh, which is very powerful. So one of the greatest tea masters of all time, his name's Rikyo. He, wa- he became uh, quite famous. He was tea master to the shogun and served tea to the emperor. And this um, fellow in the north of Japan heard about him and his heart was stirred. Uh, and he felt compelled and so he walked, because in those days there's no transportation, so you walk. He was a poor man. So he walked for months to get to uh, Rikyo's school. And he was admitted, and he studied and worked so hard. He was a wonderful student. And after about a year of practice, he asked Rikyo, Master, now that I've been here a year and I've devoted myself so sincerely, would you initiate me into the essence of Chadao, the way of tea. And Rikyo said, yes, of course, I would have done that at any time. And the student, calm on the outside, but in the inside he's rubbing his hands together, very excited to hear, to finally get into the essence of Chadao. So he's very excited, though he's maintaining calm demeanor on the outside. And Rikyo said, the essence of Chadao is this, draw the water, lay the coals, Boil the water, steep the tea. There was a long pause. The student scratched his head. Can you repeat that? Yes. Draw the water, lay the coals, boil the water, steep the tea. What? That's it? I walked all the way across Japan for that? I could have done that at home, exclaimed the student. Rikyo, tis, tis, tis. The day that you can do that is the day that I walk across Japan, put my feet at your head, and call you master. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Wuda. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, for sharing these special moments together. Truly, truly beautiful to see you always. Mm. You're a gift and a blessing. I respect you for your devotion to tea, for your commitment to ritual and practice, and for your extremely loving and open heart. One feels your deep humanity when I'm with you, as well as your spiritual connection. And uh, you are a true blessing. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, and, and I I hope and pray that, that uh, these sound waves travel and that um, they open hearts and that they awaken spirit and that that all the people listening be happy and peaceful and free and that that happiness and peace 
spreads to those whose paths they cross and like that spreads in liberation to all beings. Thank you. Namaste. Mm, Namaste. That's it, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Please remember to check out uh, the video on YouTube on my channel, Ananda Srimati, where we have a video of Wuda performing tea ceremony for us at my home. I want to thank Brandon from Incubus for blessing us with this amazing song, Aqueous Transmission. If you would like to join us and become a part of the Global Tea Hut community, please go to globalteahut.org and subscribe. How does this work? Farmers contribute tea. Every month, we'll be introduced to a different variety of tea grown without chemicals and um, all completely sustainable. Some of these teas are from trees that are hundreds of years old. Um, you'll receive an envelope with love every month, as well as a gift and a magazine. You can opt to receive it physically or take an e-copy if you prefer that. And then all you have to do is drink tea with us, and we'll be joining you every morning with thousands of people all over the world drinking tea to create space for peace. I want to thank everybody who donated to the podcast this week to support the show. Uh, I'm deeply, deeply touched. I appreciate you so much, and your donations and support help us to continue providing content. You can donate at srimati.com. That's S-R-I-M-A-T-I.com. Click on the podcast page and scroll down till you see a prominent button which says, if you're feeling some healing, share the love and support the show. This button will take you directly to PayPal where you can make a donation. I'd love to give a shout out to my Patreon group. Thanks, you guys, for supporting me. I'll be loading up some more levels and gifts and goals and things like that. Um, so anyway, it's been an amazing full week. Uh, I love you guys. And remember, until next time, I believe in you to find your way home. Peace and namaste. Discovered then we